BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. So I I just want to lay out this concept and get your take on this. I I think it's a pretty solid look back to Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson's idea of what freedom meant versus the Reaganism freedom that we've experienced ever since, basically. You know, as America's right-wing billionaires are hanging out on their giant estates with their live-in servants giving them instant COVID tests that, you know, hey, money doesn't matter. They're using the word freedom to describe their lifestyle in the right-wing media that they own or that they support. The headline over at Newsmax, it was no masking Biden's disdain for freedom. And one over at Red State references COVID tyranny. Bottom line is wealthy right-wingers have been telling this for years to us, and and a lot of Americans have bought into it that, you know, socialist programs and protective regulations actually diminish Americans' freedom. Don't you know? Freedom Works and their followers in the Tea Party said that Obamacare and Medicare destroyed America's freedom. Reagan told us Medicare would destroy freedom. And that to choose not to have health care and not to get any support or benefits from the government when you get sick, that's freedom. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate are refusing to pass a COVID relief bill right now. Why? Because uh, giving unemployed people money reduces their freedom and their incentive to look for a job. Remember this? Over and over we were hearing from Republican members of Congress, oh my God, $600 a week, who's going to work? You know, right. Donald Trump's press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, on Fox News, she was speaking about Oregon specifically. Today is the first day that we've closed all our restaurants again, and, at, and our governor, Kate Brown, is asking people to work from home if they can. I mean, you know, it's, it's a re- reasonable thing. She says, that's not the American way. We don't lose our freedom in this country. We make responsible health decisions as individuals. Republicans have this bizarre notion of what the word freedom means. But Americans who don't have live-in chefs and private pilots to take them around the country in private jets are, in my opinion, frankly, more inclined to agree with President Franklin Roosevelt, who pointed out in 1933 that necessitous men, people who live in necessity, in other words, people who have needs, necessitous men are not free men. If you're hooked up to a ventilator and you can't breathe, you're not free. If you're sick and you can't afford to pay for your health care, you're not free. If you're hungry and you can't buy food for your family, you're not free. If your landlord has thrown you out in the street because you can't pay your rent, you're not free. 
if you're afraid to hang out with your family because you don't want to put your at-risk relatives at risk of dying from the coronavirus because your government is refusing to do comprehensive testing and contact tracing, you're not free. You know, the majority of Americans, according to polls, want a different kind of freedom than what is described by Mitch McConnell and his Republican colleagues in both the House and the Senate. Average Americans overwhelmingly. Fox News had the poll up last week. 71% of Americans support Medicare for all. So that nobody again in America will ever go bankrupt because they got sick. Something that happens to a half million Americans a year and does not happen to any other citizen of any other developed country in the world ever. Most Americans want free education through college or trade school and quality primary schools so every young person who didn't grow up on a billionaire's estate can also achieve their full potential without bankrupting their parents or spending decades in essentially debt peonage. We want food and housing to be rights, not privileges, as Franklin Roosevelt proposed with his second Bill of Rights in 1944. Right-wing billionaires keep telling us that freedom means the, the, the freedom to die in debt, the freedom to remain edu- uneducated and stupid, the freedom to be hungry and homeless, while working crap jobs at minimum wage that just make the billionaires richer. That's freedom in their definition. They say that freedom means that the small number of morbidly rich people have the right to suck up all the assets and resources of society, leaving almost nothing for the working class. Unemployment benefits, the minimum wage in their universe, are the opposite of freedom. They argue that the real meaning of freedom is tax cuts for billionaires and more poison and pollution for everyone else. If your air, if your water are contaminated by industry, hey, just suck it up because, you know, freedom. And now they're telling us that freedom means not just the right to kill other Americans with corporate pollution, but that free people have the right without consequence to infect other Americans with a deadly, debilitating disease. And as a result, people who watch billionaire Rupert Murdoch's Fox News, people who who, uh, follow or read billionaire Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, people who follow right-wing websites funded in part by the billionaire Koch network, they're walking into stores without masks, they're planning holiday get-togethers, and they're spreading COVID all over the country. This billionaire idea of freedom is literally killing us. We have these two competing notions of freedom in the United States. This, is, this should be so clear to everybody. And, and uh, frankly, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that saddens me the most about the failure of democratic messaging, or maybe it's just the fact that you know, there's not much of a democratic message machine. There's this huge right-wing network of right-wing radio and television stations and right-wing websites and right-wing, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, the right-wing billionaires have a lot of money. And they're constantly promoting this idea that freedom means freedom from, freedom from government, that if government doesn't provide Social Security and Medicare, you're more free. Remember Ronald Reagan at the end of his anti-Medicare, that 33 LP that he sent out back in, the 19, in 1967 that you know went to 1,000? My dad had a copy of this. And at the very end, Ronald Reagan says, someday we'll look back and tell our children what it was like in America when men were free. Right. Before Medicare, honest to God, if you're young enough, you don't know what I'm talking about. Ronald Reagan, when the year that the Lyndon Johnson was pushing Medicare through Congress, did this recording that went out to every doctor in America. The AMA distributed it everywhere. He did it on behalf of the American Medical Association. 
basically said that Medicare was socialism and socialism was going to destroy America. So in the Republican worldview, in the conservative and billionaire worldview, freedom is freedom from. Billionaires don't have to worry about government regulating their industries or forcing them to pay a decent wage. Freedom from. But I think most Americans think that freedom to is the kind of freedom that's important. Freedom to get a good job. The freedom to stay healthy in the United States, regardless of whether you have enough money to be able to pay absurd fees to doctors and hospitals. Freedom to express your opinions without you know, being squashed by billionaire-owned right-wing media. The freedom to you know, be safe, essentially. The freedom to have a home, to have shelter. The freedom to have an education. We really need to redefine freedom in the United States. We need to have this conversation. What does freedom mean? Particularly since for the last 40 years, since the so-called Reagan revolution, the so-called conservatives, these Edmund Burke, Burkean conservatives, Edmund Burke you know, famously said that uh, you know, a, a hairdresser or a tallow maker does no harm to society, but they would do violence to society if they were allowed to vote. Right. I mean, that, that's and we're seeing this played out right in Detroit. Oh, you know, don't certify those uh, those ballots cast by 78 percent black Detroit. Oh, we can't have that everywhere else is just fine. Thank you very much. But what is freedom? What is freedom for you? What does freedom mean anymore? And can we take that word back? I think we can. And I think we should. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The place where despair is not an option. Okay, a couple other things I want to point out. The headline kind of says it all. Joan McCarter's headline over at Daily Kos. Trump gives disabled people one more kick in the teeth on his way out. Yep, in the middle of the Trump pandemic, Joan McCarter writes, in which untold millions of people who survived the disease could end up disabled for life. Keep in mind, one of the principal side effects of getting COVID is not dying. That's rare. The principal side effect is having a stroke, having long-term heart damage, experiencing dementia. One in five people who are diagnosed with symptomatic COVID within, within uh, 60 days are, ex- are exhibiting symptoms of mental illness. So anyway, Trump, the Trump administration, so all these people are going to be carrying what may be lifelong disabilities. We don't know how long this lasts, but hey, strokes tend to last for a long, long time. So Friday, the Trump administration notified the world. They announced that they're finalizing rules meant to do nothing more than make it harder for disabled people to get Social Security and to hurt people who are already on Social Security disability. They're changing the appeals process. So now instead of the impartial administrative law judges who are basically judges with no political opinion and no affiliation with any group or agency or anything, they're just there like judges, right? They're replacing them with internal agency lawyers, Social Security lawyers who have been given the mandate of making it harder for people to navigate this process. In fact, the administration says that this is going to save $2.6 billion. Well, how do you save $2.6 billion in Social Security? By not giving people benefits. 
They're also going to dramatically increase the, quote, continuing disability reviews. What are these? Well, this is what Ron Wyden, the senator from Oregon, said. He said, this is the harassment of people with disabilities that puts Americans at greater risk of falling through the cracks. So that's step one of what Trump is doing on the way out. Let's just kick people on Social Security upside the head. Step two, well, this is fascinating. Psychology Today, back in 2007, right, this is long before Donald Trump was on the horizon. 2007, Psychology Today ran an article titled, When the Narcissist Fails. And it was basically, uh, you know, the context was mostly like in business. And it's like, what happens when a narcissist fails? And they've got this 14-point list of what narcissists do when they fail. And I just have to share this with you. This is just mind-boggling. Keep in mind, this is uh, 13 years old, what I'm reading to you. Number one, they will falsely claim that everything is fine and there's nothing wrong. They'll try to first misdirect us or claim that there's nothing to the allegations or circumstances. This was written in 2007, 13 years ago. Number two, if evidence is presented, they'll seek to have it invalidated or claim that it is false, fake, or the product of vague conspiracies. Number three, any evidence presented and those who present it will be attacked aggressively and vindictively. The better the evidence, the more aggressive the attacks. Number four, foolproof evidence will be portrayed as false and the result of pettiness, jealousy, bad actors, malicious individuals, haters, enemies, losers, conspirators, opposition, gain seekers, and the faithless. Number five, keep in mind, this was, this was written 13 years ago. Number five, as they lash out with vindictiveness, the malignant narcissist will continue to talk about themselves in glowing terms. They will trumpet their greatness, their achievements, real or imagined, their faux infallibility, and even portray themselves as worthy of being revered rather than reviled. Number six, they will seek to find someone to blame their troubles on or their downfall on, particularly someone who can't defend themselves. A scapegoat, in other words. Number seven, as circumstances become dire, the narcissist will not take responsibility ever. Anything that has gone wrong is the responsibility of others. Number eight, in the process of casting blame, even the most loyal and stalwart will be discarded and denigrated if needed with reptilian indifference. For the malignant narcissist, there is only the good, those who provide blind, unwavering loyalty, and everyone else is an enemy, and thus bad. Number nine, expect lies to increase and to be repeated exponentially. Even in the light of factual evidence to the contrary, the malignant narcissist will lie more profusely and more adamantly when caught. Number 10, and while lies will increase, so too will the need to devalue others in order to further value themselves. They will attack everyone and anyone in the most vicious and vindictive ways. This is when you see their rage come through, not just anger, but unbridled rage. They will say things that shock the conscience. Number 11, the malignant narcissist lacks guilt or a conscience and is only concerned with respect and not being publicly shamed. Any kind of public embarrassment will cause them further anger, rage, attacks, unethical comportment, and unprecedented incivility. Number 12, if the narcissist is going to be brought down, they'll also seek to bring down everyone else around them. Trump's trying to bring down our whole country, right? Number 13, in certain situations as the end nears, the suffering of others is the most important thing to the malignant narcissist. They delight in the pain of other people as they are suffering. Number 14, 
Narcissists are natural wound collectors. As they face failure, arrest, indictment, they will endlessly air their grievances. Joe Biden is putting together, or Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are putting together their task force on COVID. Clinical nurse, Teresa Brown, the author of two books, Critical Care and The Shift, Teresa Brown RN is her website, and Teresa Brown is her Twitter handle, noticed that there was a paucity, shall we say, a lack of nurses on the task force. So started a change.org petition. Petition has gotten thousands and thousands of signatures, and it's rolling along. And so I wanted to reach out to Teresa Brown and see what's up with all this. Teresa Brown, uh, Nurse Brown, and Teresa Brown is on the line with us. Teresa, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us, what got you started on this? When the COVID task force came out and I saw that there were no nurses on it, I went to Twitter and was tweeting about it, as we do. And I found out there was a lot of really, really strong feeling among nurses that there not being a nurse on the task force was a really significant oversight, let's say. And actually, someone on Twitter said, you know what, Teresa, you should start a petition on change.org. And I thought, hey, yeah, why don't I do that? So I started a petition, and I would encourage people to go to it, change.org backslash nurse on task force. And you'll see a lovely picture of a nurse masked up with pulling aside her shirt and then a Superman ass underneath. Hmm. So, yeah, it was really nurse driven that got me to get this going. And then seeing the enthusiasm and the feelings of nurses on Twitter about this has kept me at it. You know, growing up, going to the doctor's office and that sort of thing, I had always sort of thought of nurses as the assistants to the doctors that one of my kids graduated from nursing school, was an RN for many years, is now an NP. And I have discovered that nursing is a standalone profession. It is subordinate to nothing and nobody, thank you very much. Without nurses and nursing, you don't have medicine. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit and help educate people who might be operating under the same misconception that I was before my oldest kid went to nursing school? That's a great point. And I had a a similar moment when my son was born that it's not the doctor who sat with me all during my labor and held my hand and encouraged me. And it wasn't a doctor in the hospital who checked how I was doing and how my son was doing. It was the nurses. And so I had that eye-opening moment myself. At that time, I was teaching English at Tufts University. I have a PhD in English. And it was my kids who got me to switch careers so that's how profoundly impressed I was with nurses. The analogy I was thinking about was, I think people often look at the military and they say doctors are officers and nurses are like the enlisted, right? That's a crude analogy, but we'll go with it. But the problem with that is the army in general is trying to keep an enemy at bay, right? They sometimes have to hurt people. They sometimes kill people. Healthcare has a completely different function. We're trying to heal people, which is a very, very complicated process that's becoming increasingly specialized. And so nurses are becoming increasingly knowledgeable and increasingly technically aware. And there are many, many arenas, as you say, where we 
basically function on our own. It's nurses monitoring hospital floors. I worked in home hospice for several years. It's nurses who are the point person for the hospice team. It's nurses who work in skilled nursing facilities. And yeah, we check in with doctors for things that are needed and the doctors do their job and we do our job. And our job is to be with the patients, to take care of them 24 seven, um, and also to work in the community. So a really important point with the COVID task force is that Vic Murphy has talked about the challenge of getting everyone vaccinated. Well, nurses give shots. We are year after year voted the most trusted profession. And nurses are talking in articles online about trying to work with patients who don't believe that COVID is real and how difficult that is. Wouldn't it be great to have a nurse on the task force who could talk about how can we get nurses to really work with patients about, yes, COVID is real. Yes, I would recommend this vaccine. Yeah, masking does help. It would make a big difference. Definitely would. So how's that going? I mean, you've got the petition over at change.org. You know, are you getting any response from the administration? Have you seen any movement? I've heard about some whispering. I have not personally gotten a response. So I'm just going to keep at it and hope for the best. And we'll see what happens. And if there's not a nurse on the COVID task force, what I really want the petition to do, I mean, I would like it to accomplish that, but if it doesn't accomplish that, what I would like for it to do is put out in the ether and in people's minds, nurses need to be involved in the American response to COVID not just at a sort of boots on the ground level, but also at a leadership level, because our workflow, our responsibilities, how we do our job is completely different from doctors. And we need people in the leadership roles who understand how we work and what we can do. So I would love to have a nurse on the task force. If it doesn't happen, I would love to see nurses still working on the U.S. response to covid yeah, I'm, I'm I totally wish I could say that, that and, Joe Biden had called me, but yeah, well, you never know. Some years ago, uh, probably six, eight years ago, maybe a little longer, I was the keynote speaker for the uh, Physicians for National Health Plan, PNHP, group mm. at their annual convention in Seattle. I'm good friends with a number of people who are members of National Nurses United. In fact, they were one of the first unions to endorse Bernie Sanders. So, you know, there's a couple of fairly political organizations, PNHP with docs, National Nurses United with nurses, who are advocating for large plans, you know, national health care for all, Medicare for all, things like that. What's your sense of across the landscape of nursing, the extent to which nurses are involved in politics or the extent to which, I mean, we've had over a thousand healthcare professionals now die in the last mm. few months from COVID and nurses are very much on the front lines here. What's the extent to which we're seeing in a positive way, nurses becoming more politically active? I think we are seeing that. Traditionally, nurses often feel like I'm just going to keep my head down and do my job and that's going to keep me safe, right? And with COVID, nurses started to see, no, that's not working because we don't have enough personal protective equipment or I'm a pregnant nurse and I'm being told I have to go take care of COVID patients and 
that's it. I just have to do that. So nurses have been put into these situations that are literally, in some cases, life-threatening. And it's made them realize that just keeping your head down is not going to work in extreme situations. And I would say, in general, it doesn't work. I mean, I've through my writing at the New York Times and my books, I've tried to always speak up and represent nurses, but I also know how scary that can be. But I think we are going to see nurses talking a lot more. Yeah, and a fine thing it is that nurses are important voices. Teresa Brown, RN, clinical nurse, author of two books, Critical Care and The Shift. TeresaBrownRN.com is the website, and Teresa Brown is the Twitter handle. Teresa, thanks for dropping by. Thank you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Kevin in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind? So regarding the whole issue of individual freedom, I actually had a conversation with somebody about that because he was making the argument that I hear a lot of conservatives make with, regard, with regards to COVID, saying that, well, it should be up to the individual. Uh, you know, if somebody's sick or they're old, then they should stay home. Everybody else should you know, make their own choice. And I said, okay, well, what if, that, what if somebody has COVID or they don't even know they have COVID? And their individual choice is to walk around with a mask and Target or Walmart or whatever. Then that's how the virus spreads. I mean, that's how it's been spreading. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I don't think people are, are getting it that this is a highly contagious disease and that the only way we're going to tamp it down is for everybody to work together. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kevin. And that's that's the thing. I mean, Margaret Thatcher famously said there's no such thing as society. There's only a collection of individuals. And that's at the core of this whole libertarian, conservative, Republican idea that all responsibility falls on the individual. That, you know, government doesn't need to do anything about global warming. You just need to turn the heat down in your house. Um, <laughs> you know, the government shouldn't be mandating masks or, or telling people to work from home. We, we could just trust people to do what's the right thing. And, you know, sadly, maybe in a perfect world, maybe in an ideal society where everybody is born rich and everybody has all the resources and everybody has, you know, whatever the equivalent of white privilege may be for them, you know, maybe there's a little bit of truth to that in that kind of world, but that's not the world we live in. And uh, so, yeah, your point is really, really well made, Kevin. Thank you for that. Todd in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Hey, Todd, what's up? As far as freedoms go, for me, I have 
more freedoms than others because I have uh, the VA system to fall back on. I don't have to worry about medical bankruptcy or anything like that. I get great care and I pay nothing for it. And I really wish that more veterans would stand up and, and, and complain that the rest of the world or the rest of the U.S. does not have such a thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right, great. Todd. And, and that's, that's a point I no that words. I didn't really make in my rant is that, is that this social safety net stuff, you know, Medicare for all or, or health care for everybody, good education for everybody, uh, at least a minimal guarantee of housing and, and jobs and, and a reasonable minimum wage. These things actually enhance freedom. They provide the basis for free people, you know, the floor for free people to stand on so that they can move forward and do what they want to do in the world. Okay, Dave, what's up? Okay. Well, I, I was wanted to add to your conversation about freedom to and freedom from. Not all freedom from is bad. Yes, the big corporations want to be free from government intrusion, but the people also want to be free from the consequences, big corporations polluting uh, and so forth. And we want to be free to wear or to not wear a mask. But those of us that do wear masks want to be free from the consequences of someone not wearing a mask. And I think it's finding the balance between those two aspects of freedom are the fundamentals of our system of law. And our societal norms. I mean, I think that a good analogy here, Dave, is tobacco, is smoking. You're free to smoke in your own home, but your freedom to smoke in public ends with the point where I'm inhaling your smoke. I should be free not to, you know, I should be free to, to breathe fresh air rather than, you know, secondhand cigarette smoke. And so, you know, if, if we think of the virus as just a, a much more dastardly version of the same thing, you know, yeah, you're free to walk around without a mask, but I should be free to inhale air that's not filled with COVID virus particles. Makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And Excellent thanks, point. Thanks for calling and making it. Well done, Dave. Mary in Panama City, Florida. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Do you know, Vince Biden, and, uh, now, are we going to get another stimulus check? I've been out of work nine months and we're living off Social Security. I would be amazed if there is not a stimulus package of some kind passed at least before Christmas, probably maybe (laughs) even in the next few weeks. But the reality is that the House of Representatives has passed two of them. They passed a $2 trillion bill and they passed a $3 trillion bill. And they're both sitting in Mitch McConnell's desk. You know, know, he's refusing to do anything about it, you know. So, of course, and, and we got and, him back. <laughs> uh, another yeah. thing, Tom, is I I am a uh, I donate every month to your program, and we watch it every day. And I was wondering, if Panama City is a open Republican, and I am having trouble finding your books. I've got two of them. Of and I I am taking care of also my friend who is a disabled veteran and. He loves your books, too. How do I get your books? They're available through the online, you know, through any bookstore. I mean, they're all just all of my books are distributed by big national distribution companies. So if your local even, bookstore even doesn't now. carry the books, if, if you just ask them to, to get them, they can get them for you. If you want a list of them, oh. you know, they're over on my website, but also Amazon.com has a good list. Powell's.com, which is the local store here in Portland. They stock all of my okay. books. Mary, thank you so much. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? When you talk about freedom, 
I think that word was co-opted by the uh, conservatives and Republicans because that's all they yell. I'm an equality person, and I agree with Alexis de Tocqueville's take on it. You know, he's given the choice between equality and freedom. He chooses equality. And he also quoted saying, Americans are so enamored with so enamored of equality that they would rather be equal in slavery than unequal in freedom. And uh, wow. he also said, "Is that, that for, is that from democracy in America? Equality in its most extreme is freedom." That was Franklin Roosevelt's point too. Is is that you know if we lift everybody up to a to a minimum floor where they don't have to worry about basic survival stuff, you know, the bottom part of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, that pyramid. If you're, you know, food safety, um, shelter, um, you know, basic stuff is taken care of, then you're free standing on that foundation to go as high right. or as far as you want. And uh, right. yeah, and de Tocqueville's book, by the way, Bill, I, I'm, I'm pleased to hear from another de Tocqueville fan. I read Democracy in America. It was published in 1836. And, and uh, mm-hmm. in fact, I bought an edition that was published in the 1840s. Uh, wow. which I have around here. I, I love getting you know original books. And uh-huh. when I was writing Screwed, which was, I think, in 2003 mm-hmm. or 2004, and that uh-huh. book is still, I think, one of the best books I've ever written. When I was writing that book, I read de Tocqueville's book, and it blew me away. I mean, you know, he, this is a mm-hmm. French nobleman who came to the United States in 1836, traveled mm-hmm. around the country, most, most you know, the, the East Coast, and um, right. was just blown away by what he saw and went back and wrote Democracy in America as a way of explaining to the rest mm-hmm. of the world what's going on with this American experiment mm-hmm. and, and uh-huh. what, you know, lessons, you know, a French uh-huh. nobleman could learn from it. And it's just an right. absolutely brilliant book. Bill, thank you for the call. And thanks for waving Alexis de Tocqueville's name in front of me. It always gets me going. John in Chicago. Hey, John, what's up? Hi. I just wanted to make a point that health care should be a right, that you know, freedom depends on health care. In the last two packages that they uh, passed, they didn't do anything to help people afford the hospital bills that they're going to incur by having COVID. Right. You know, in the future package, we shouldn't just look at things as economics and try to help people, though that should be done. We should also do things to help people afford this and help the uninsured afford this. That, that was the point I wanted to make. Yes. And you're absolutely right. It's such an important point. Thank you very much for that, uh, John. I appreciate the call. Mary in Little Mountain, South Carolina. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind? Yes, I just wanted to relate to you a conversation that I had with my girlfriend yesterday. She lives in Indiana. I'm here in South Carolina, but we talk on the phone a lot. She's a Republican, and she was listening to some uh, right-wing radio station, and she said to me, I'm not going to get the vaccine when it comes out. And I said, why? And she says, well, they say it alters your DNA. And I said, I never heard that. I don't think a vaccine can do that. I'm just wondering if you've heard right-wing people talking anything about that. Yeah, this is one of the crazier uh, right-wing conspiracy memes that's going around. And and apparently it's been adopted by the uh, QAnon conspiracy folks. And it's that uh, because this is a messenger RNA virus, messenger RNA is, is, uh, basically regulates the production of proteins by the cells, that RNA is close enough to DNA that somehow they're trying to mess with your DNA. And it's nonsense. There's literally no science uh, that supports this. Uh, there's not even any scientific theory that supports this. 
Um, this is a vaccine that causes your body to produce a, a protein that resembles the spike protein or that's identical to the spike protein on the outside of the virus so that your body will say, whoa, that's not supposed to be there. It'll mount an immune response. It will remember that immune response. And then the next time you're, or when you're exposed to the actual spike protein on the actual virus, your body's already ready to fight it. So your, your friend, sadly, is setting herself up to get really sick or die from COVID if she doesn't, you know, if she doesn't take this seriously. Uh, Mary, it, it is complete nonsense. And, and I'm guessing by now Snopes and, and some of the other fact-checking sites have probably nailed this down. You might want to go looking for that and share it with your friend. Mary, thank you for the call. Russell in Lake Jackson, Texas. Hey, Russell, what's up? regards to the COVID, you know, everybody wants to kick it around as a freedom idea and, and, and wear my mask. But coming from a red state and, you know, being someone who's had COVID and knowing that I can get it again where I'm not heard like Trump. But, you know, in regards to the general public, you know, masking up, it's a part of the problem. But then we've got all this bunch. It's the same bunch that's all, well, we, you know, we don't even vaccinate our kids. We sign releases to go to school and, and we won't be taking the vaccine. I mean, you know, when countries that are working so hard, we should be leading. And places like New Zealand, the, the Aussies, Taiwan, you know, that have got rid of the virus somewhat and, and can keep it at bay. It, pulling out of these during a pandemic, pulling out of the health organization and all the others, do you think that there's a chance that during the Biden-Harris administration we can kind of maybe get the world to go together? And I know no one wants shutdowns in the full set, but I mean, it, it seemed yeah. to me if we could have got everybody to get on board at the same time, we could have nipped this in the bud somewhat, or it's like Dr. Fauci I, I, I'm said, with you, Russell. Ball. And I, th I think the number one thing that Biden and Harris can and should be doing right away is talking about Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, China, uh, Australia, New Zealand, what's happening in these countries that actually have this thing under control. The last yes, time sir. somebody died in Taiwan from coronavirus was April 12th. Think about how long ago right. April 12th was. And this is a country yep. that is 10% the size of the United States. It's, uh, it's, this is not rocket science. You're, you're absolutely right, Russell. And this is what we need to be doing. For that matter, why doesn't the American media talk about what's going You're on in Taiwan? To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Or Australia. I saw an article yesterday. You know, they had a little uh, uh, outbreak in Melbourne. They locked the city down. They got rid of it. Now life is back to normal. Jerry in Kent, Washington. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, thanks for taking the call. Hey, do you know if Judy Shelton's... Uh, attempt to be put on the Federal Reserve Board. Is that dead or not? Anybody who uh, thinks that we got to go back to the gold standard has no idea of how finance works. Um, right. Just amazing. Yeah. Well, and she's uh, floated con some conspiracy theories about the Fed itself, which is what's so bizarre about it. I, I, I don't I honestly know, Jerry. I mean, you know, in, in, uh, to, to a certain extent, that was held up yesterday because some of the committee members are out with COVID. So there was a piece about it in the Financial Times that I read yesterday afternoon that implied or suggested, I mean, they didn't come out and say it, that, that her nomination mm -hmm. was dead. But it suggested that it was, you know, all but dead. The main point that the article was making wasn't so much whether, you know, procedural stuff or whether her nomination was going to be revisited or not, but that the failure of her nomination was proof that the Republicans in the United States Senate have uh, already started to move beyond Trump because she's a Trumper, 
right? And yep. and I think all of them are a little wary of, of Trump and Trumpers. So if that take was correct, then I would say her nomination is dead. If that take was wrong, uh, then, you know, God only knows. Back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, I realize she'd only be one vote. If this country ever returned back to the gold standard, they'd have to run the bankruptcy courts 24-7 for the next decade. I swear that... Well, we just couldn't even physically do it. I mean, I just... I mean, we'd have to reboot our currency. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder, Republican politicians get any dumber, they're going to forget to breathe. (laughs) Yeah. It's really sad. It, re- it really is. But uh, this, yes. is, this is what we've got. Jerry, thanks a lot for the call. James in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, James, what's up? 61-year-old man, Tom. And uh, I've been around the state. And I've always paid attention to politics pretty much since I was a young kid. Uh, for some reason, I grew up in Chicago, and that's where we were. But time to make a quick comment to you, sir, is that I think freedom has been a disillusion an illusion of the american people for years and years time i think we've really never been free and i loved your comment so what would it take james in your mind to establish freedom in the united states i i think we need to get uh, i think there's dark money that are pushing the buttons on what's going on in this country, Tom. I think there's a cabal, Illuminati. Something is going on in this country to where we have... Oh, there's a bunch of billionaires who control the Republican Party and probably a third of the of the Democratic Party. There's no doubt about that. Is that what you're talking about? Because they're well, getting what they want. That, well, that too, Tom. I agree with that also. But I think there's even... There's other forces out there, I think, that are pushing... Yeah, I, they don't even need the Illuminati, James. I mean, they, they you know, they get together twice a year on at Charles Koch's estate, I mean, I, or, or you know, uh, other uh, venues. But, yeah, I get it. Exactly. James, thanks a lot for the call. Exactly. It's great to hear exactly. from you. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? COVID virus vaccine that is developed. It was a husband and wife team who are Muslims who developed this. Right. Uh, in Not just Muslims. They're Turkish refugees or their parents yes. were Turkish refugees. You know, gas starbiters, the guest workers for Germany. Yeah, exactly. So just the ironies of Trump's Muslim bans and things like that. I thought we could go beyond that to a teachable moment when we're talking with people we know who are Trump fans or whatever to mention, because everybody is talking about this right now. Everybody's talking about the vaccine. Number yeah. one topic. And so just say, did you happen to know that they're Muslims? You know, how can you support a preacher like Franklin Graham who says Muslims are wicked and evil? How can you support politicians who want to keep them out of the country? They are saving your life. How can you hate them? Yeah. So I think it may be a moment for all of us. Guessing a lot of those people will say, "Well, yeah, every every rule has an exception, and that sometimes proves the rule." But but I, I think you're right, and I, and one of the things that's been actually very gratifying to me is how much publicity that fact has gotten. How there's been so many nice little kind of fluffy profiles of this husband and wife team, both of them the children of of Turkish refugees or immigrants to Germany, who developed this vaccine. They're brilliant, and uh, they just did a marvelous job. Joe in East Longmeadow, Massachusetts. Hey, Joe, what's your mind. Why doesn't Trump want to give up the transfer of power to Biden? And what's he got to hide? He's afraid of going to jail. As long as he is president under this Justice Department policy, the, the Nixon 
Justice Department came up with back after Nixon was taking bribes from Jimmy Hoffa and from the milk lobby. The Justice Department said you can't prosecute a sitting president. Then they got reconfirmed or reaffirmed by the Bill Clinton Justice Department when the Republicans were talking about prosecuting Bill Clinton for lying about Monica Lewinsky. So as long as he's president, the Justice Department can't investigate him or prosecute him. When he leaves the White House, they can. And that's what he's worried about, in my opinion, John. The Senate, they're living high on the hog and we're living in the ditches. Why is that? Well, that's Mitch McConnell. He's, He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he doesn't really care about anybody who's not. They used to refer to the Senate as the Millionaires Club. The wealthiest members of the federal government are in the Senate. Most of them, the vast majority of them are Republicans. Uh, probably the largest exception to that is Dianne Feinstein. But by and large, you know, the, your really rich dudes or people are the, well, Kelly Loeffler, you know, the senator from Georgia, her husband owns the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> Talk about big bucks. But still, she see, feels that she has to trade on inside information, which is just disgusting. You know, that's what's going on, Joe. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind? I had a conversation with you a couple, I think it was a couple of months ago. And I was just saying how, um, to me, the Democrats show no spine, and and, and um, we let the Republicans get away with, I guess, basically from George Bush um, going into Iraq, Wall Street, um, you know, crumbling in 2008, bankers walking away free, and it seems like this president, you have people that saying, "Oh, let him calm down" or whatever, on the Republican side, and. To me, we're not fighting hard enough to let this man know there's going to be repercussions after you get out of office. Because there's no yeah. way in the world that, after, like you said, if Biden doesn't want to um, worry about prosecuting Donald Trump, that doesn't let the rest of the party off. You know, um, look at what yeah. we're doing with Fox. Um, Yeah, I'm with you, Charles. And he's already feathering his nest. I mean, I'm getting between six and 10. uh, One day I got 13 emails from Donald Trump and, you know, various fundraising entities associated with him. And on almost all of them, if you donate it, the money is 60 percent of the money now, 40 percent goes to the RNC, 60 percent of the money now is going to a new super PAC that Donald Trump just started two weeks ago. That's a giant slush fund that he can use for pretty much anything he wants going forward. He is preparing his post-presidency. He knows he's lost and he's getting ready to go in that direction. Charles, thanks for the call. Rhee in, in Nampa, Idaho. Hey, Rhee, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, a couple of things I just want to pass on to you that I heard recently when dealing with um, what what do you do after Trump, <laughs> you know, with his mm-hmm. crimes and, and so on. And there was two places that I was listening to, um, uh, a, pros- a former prosecuting uh, uh, attorney, federal uh, attorney, uh, was talking about uh, uh, setting up an independent council where all the time for investigations and uh, requests to grand jury and so on can be done outside of the governing, you know, giving a president, Mm -hmm. new president and officials and Congress to govern without having to go yeah, through like a, this, a presidential commission kind of thing, sort of like 9-11 was, yeah, the, like the 9-11 yeah, Senator, yeah. yeah, Senator Swalwell also mentioned that commission. So something outside, mm. something independent, and I thought that, that was a great uh, uh, 
what to do kind of a question Um, and and to free up our government so they they don't have to deal with uh, the news and they don't have to deal with investigations and and uh, I really look forward to Yeah, the last thing Joe Biden needs is Donald Trump living in his head for the next four years and uh, and you can bet that Donald Trump is going to try and do the very best he can to make that happen. Reed, thank you. Excellent points. Excellent points all. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Judy in Carpentersville, Illinois. Hey, Judy, what's up? I'm 74, and in my memory, the media has been calling elections. We don't wait. People don't want to wait for the official uh, thing uh, to happen. And the other thing I notice is that no one is questioning any other races. Well, in other words, there were senators, there were state legislators, there were House of Reps. Yeah. Well, it is kind of weird, Judy, that that the Republicans are saying that the the election was rigged, but all those Republican senators who won, they won fair and square. Uh, But Donald Trump did. But, you know, when it's raining outside, you don't you don't wait for the weather forecaster to tell you that it's raining so that you, you know, grab an umbrella. You just look outside and say it's raining. That's all the news media is doing. They're looking at the totals that are provided by the people who will certify the election, the individual states. They're not getting this information from some reporter who's sitting in in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, counting ballots, you know, with a mirror over his shoulder or something. They're getting the information from the states. And when the states say this is who won and the and the percentage of votes is in and it's so obvious that, you know, there's no other way to call it. Uh, yeah, it takes another couple of weeks for the states to officially certify things. But this idea that the election hasn't been called is pure and simple BS. It, this is Donald Trump's desperate attempt to try to say, you know, wait a minute, stop talking like Joe, Joe Biden's actually the president-elect. We have been referring to the president-elect as the president-elect after the election has been called by the media since the founding of the republic. He is trying to change our norms, and uh, frankly, I think it's just wrong. Anthony in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Anthony, what's on your mind? Yes, I would just like to second the gentleman that called in from Elkhart, Indiana. My father-in-law worked at one of the steel mills in Gary, Indiana, 
and they had a very, very nice income. He sent six children to school, but when Ronald Reagan came in, all of that disappeared. Yeah. My second point is the uh, the Republicans are so against socialist programs as they see it, but they never, never say anything about the Tennessee Valley Authority, which is one of the biggest federal socialist programs we have. And that's my comment. Or the Rural Electrification Administration that brought electricity to rural people back in the 30s and early 40s when big companies refused to do it because it wasn't prop profitable. Or the Rural Telephony Administration, which brought telephone service to rural people when it wasn't profitable. This was socialism. Or Social Security, which is a form of socialism. Or Medicare. I, you know, what was nuts to me was to see these Tea Partiers out there with their signs that said, keep your government hands off my Medicare, as if they thought Medicare fell out of the sky or some Republican corporation gave it to them. You know, no, it, this is socialism in the United States and it's socialism we all love. Our socialist fire departments, they're entirely paid for with tax dollars. They protect us. Our socialist police departments, entirely paid for with tax dollars. Our socialist army, where not only do we pay for their, for their, you know, doing their job, but we provide them with housing, we provide them with clothing, we provide them with medical care, and we feed them. Um, it, you can't get more socialist than that. So yeah, there's a a lot of socialism in America. The real pernicious socialism, though, is not people on welfare. It's the $600 billion a year that we're handing to the billionaires in the oil industry. That's the most pernicious socialism we have in America. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And the fact that for every dollar Kentucky sends to the federal government in taxes, you and me send Kentucky $2.41 from our taxes. Tom Hartman here with you and talking freedom and what freedom means. And one of the aspects of it that I talked about is you're not free if you're sick, particularly if you can't afford to pay for your own health care. And nobody has been more on the front lines of this than National Nurses United, nationalnursesunited.org, the largest nurses union in the country and one of the biggest advocates for a national uh, single-payer health care system. Marissa Lee, a registered nurse with National Nurses United, she's the nurse leader, is uh, with us. National Nurses, by the way, is the Twitter handle, is uh, on the line with us. Uh, Marissa, I understand there's a new study that shows that hospitals, in many cases, most of these giant corporate hospitals, in fact, uh, 53 of the top 100 in the country are owned by that one company that Rick Scott used to run that he committed the largest Medicare fraud in the history of the United States and then took that money and became governor of Florida and now senator from Florida, that uh, these hospitals, you know, in retail, if you go into a store and you buy, you know, a piece of clothing that costs $12, uh, Keystone is the normal markup in retail. It's called Keystone, which, which means that if you, if you buy a, a $20 uh, shirt, it costs the store $10. In other words, they double the price at retail. But 18 times? Is that what I'm seeing here? That's exactly what you're seeing here. First of all, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to you, but 18 times. So if you have an item that is $100, the hospital is charging $1,800 for that item. That and is yet, mind-boggling. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And as a nurse, I see the consequences of people not getting health 
care or being afraid to go to the hospital because of the cost. So now we see patients that are sicker. Okay, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 36 years. And you would think that it's, you know, for mothers having babies, um, it would be easy. I have a patient, my favorite patient, and she comes in every week. She's full-time employed but can't afford the deductibles of her insurance, cannot afford to go see we seek prenatal care, so she seeks prenatal care at the hospital. What is that saying? That this country is falling apart medically. And what I mean by that is that the cost of getting care has increased almost 411%. So most of us can't afford to get any kind of health care, any kind. And if yeah. you do, it's the minimum. And then your co-pays and your premiums are going to be astronomical. Okay. Yeah, it, it you know, really like I, truly is nuts. I grew up in Michigan. First two businesses that I started were in Michigan. And this was back in the 70s. You know, we had a, a, a little business with 18 employees. We, we provided health care to all of our employees. Um, I remember it very well because I wrote the checks. And it cost me $35 per month per employee. And that was for, for a full family policy. But in Michigan at that time, uh, this was in Lansing, Michigan, the three hospitals in Lansing, St. Lawrence was run by the Catholic Church. Sparrow was run by a nonprofit foundation that was endowed by a guy named Sparrow back in the REOs days, uh, back in the 20s. And, and then the third one was Ingham County. It was run by the county. All three hospitals were nonprofit hospitals. The, uh, the law in Michigan required that the insurance that, that I was providing my employees, which was Blue Cross Blue Shield, was provided by a nonprofit corporation that was state-based. It was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and it was nonprofit. And, and expenses were not that great. Our, you know, our oldest kid was born 45 years ago in, at St. Mary's Hospital in Livonia. At that time, I was working as an engineer at RCA. I don't recall, and I wasn't making a lot of money. I mean, I was kind of on the bottom of the food chain in, in the engineering world. I don't recall paying a penny in terms of co-pays or anything, and that was in a fancy hospital. But again, it was a nonprofit hospital. It was run by the Catholic Church. What has changed? How did this change? And how do we get it back? How do we get back to some sense of normalcy? Okay, what has changed? Hospitals have become a corporation, a corporation for profit. It's not any longer about the patient. It's about making profits. For example, the corporation that I work for is the biggest, biggest offender. And I work for HCA, the biggest offender of market gouging, increasing prices. And yet, as a nurse, as a frontline nurse, I don't have the equipment to take care of those patients. And I don't have the equipment to protect myself. What do we need to do? We need to have a universal care system like Medicare for All. And people are saying that Medicare for All is a socialist, but it's not a socialist. We're taking care of our patients, we're taking care of our people, and we're, nobody's left behind. People nowadays fall to the crack. And when they come into this hospital, to my hospital, they are really, really sick. Medicare for All will provide preventive care so patients don't wait till they're an extreme. They're not deathly ill. 
we need to focus on what our society needs. It's not being provided. ACA was the leading step, but we need to take it a little further. And that's where Medicare for All comes into play. It takes it a little farther, looks at the individual, doesn't forget that individual that fell to the crack, doesn't forget that pregnant woman that can't get in any health insurance because her co-pays are so high and she's, you know, she's fully employed. Doesn't forget that individual. We're talking with Marissa Lee, uh, RN, the nurse leader at National Nurses United. Uh, and NationalNursesUnited.org is the website, the Twitter handle, at National Nurses. One of the premier nursing organizations in the country and one of the leading advocates in this nation for single-payer health care and has been for a long time, had so much admiration for y'all. What sort of changes are you seeing on the horizon now that new administration is going to be coming in? Are you and the folks in your union getting the sense that Medicare for All or something close to that might be a possibility? I, I see that. I see that because it's not about the previous administration was it was about that one top percent. This administration is looking at the total, not forgetting that lower middle class or or lower class or those that can't afford. Whereas the previous administration, it was about the profit. Those that, that were at the top one percent. And everybody else was irrelevant. Everybody else was, they're fine. They'll do fine. They're fine. Just like, mm. you know, he said this pandemic was a hoax. I've seen right. the effects of the pandemic. So, hmm. Marissa, in Utah, one of the hospitals there is reporting that they're getting these COVID truthers, people trying to sneak into the hospital with cameras, thinking that they're going to find that the ICU is actually empty and there's no COVID patients there. Have you seen <laughs> anything like that in, 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 where you're practicing? Okay, I'm in Florida. Not to this moment, but I will gladly show them the COVID unit. I will gladly welcome them in and show them how an abundance and the shifting of patients. And the shifting of patients that are still COVID positive, but we need the bed for a sicker patient. So I will That's welcome amazing. them. I will definitely welcome yeah. them. Uh, within, within the boundaries of, of uh, you know, privacy and all that, of course. Exactly. Uh, Marissa exactly. Lee, the, yeah, thank you. The, the nurse leader at National Nurses United, nationalnursesunited.org. Marissa, thanks so much. Thank you for giving thank me you. Your, your time and listening to my, my, my plea. This is the Tom Hartman Program. National Nurses United is just a great organization and worthy of your support. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.